Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and activists. I'm Carla Kozak, an editor and product coordinator for Actus, and I'll be your host for today's show, which is part of our Conversations with Carla series. In every episode of the series, I'll be joined by a guest who's behind one of our most popular and exciting Actus educational offerings to share their expertise. Today's topic is pediatric CDI, and my guest today is Sheila Snyder, MD, FAAP. Dr. Sheila Snyder is a pediatric hospitalist and CDI physician advisor for Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. The majority of her work is clinical, and her main motivation is to improve the clinical outcomes for her patients, as well as accurately document their care. Dr. Snyder serves as a physician champion for her hospital's EPIC inpatient team, which allows her to leverage the EMR to help produce excellent CDI outcomes. She's presented on pediatric CDI at the Actus Conference for several years and contributed to the book, Pediatric CDI, Building Blocks for Success. Also, a quick reminder about the fact that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after posting, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCDSO recertification requirements. We'll share instructions at the end of the show, so please stay tuned for that. And now, before we jump into our topic and conversation with Sheila today, a brief word about today's sponsor. The 2024 edition of the Actus Pocket Guide is now available for pre-order. The Actus Pocket Guide is the essential resource for regulatory encoding guidance, IPS reimbursement updates, compliant query best practices and standards, clinical validation, and diagnostic definitions. It's co-written by Laurie Prescott, Actus's Interim Director and CDI Education Director, and Dr. James Manns, a practicing physician at Mayo Clinic, steeped in the latest physician documentation terminology. The 2024 Actus Pocket Guide offers the latest information CDI professionals need to know, including fiscal year 2024 guidelines, 2023 coding clinic guidance, new provider tips, the latest updates related to social determinants of health, and a new condition, leukemia. Pre-order your 2024 version today so you can be sure to receive the CDI resource as soon as it's released in November. You can use the link in today's show notes to learn more. So thank you again for joining us today, Sheila. I'm so excited to have you here with me today to talk about pediatric CDI. But before we delve into the CDI aspect, can you tell me a little bit about pediatrics in general? What makes this specialty so unique? Sure. Um, pediatrics is very different, especially about CDI, but but all of medicine. I'm actually a subspecialist. I'm a pediatric hospital medicine specialist, which is kind of a new subspecialty in pediatrics. Uh, it's just been around for three years as an ACGME accredited subspecialty. Um, but I work at an inpatient freestanding children's hospital, Children's Nebraska in Omaha. Uh, I've been here as a hospitalist for Oh, 17 years as a hospitalist and did some clinic before that. Um, So I've been around quite a long time. Um, But, you know, we do uh, only treat pediatric patients at our freestanding children's hospital, but we have an academic affiliation with University of Nebraska, so a much bigger hospital that has a small peds unit there. All of our work here is in pediatrics inpatient setting. Um, And so we really work hard to... um, 
make sure that we're getting credit for um, all the work that we do for our patients on the inpatient side, as sick as they are. Pediatrics is different than adult medicine. Everything that we do is uh, weight-based. We have pediatrics patients that are one kilo, uh, even down to a pound something in the NICU, up to uh, big adult-sized teenagers. So we take care of all different sizes, and our medications and our diagnoses have to reflect that. Um, A lot of pediatric diagnoses are things that are congenital that you have from birth, and so that adds another element of complexity to it. Um, And then a lot of adult diagnoses you can't just make smaller for pediatrics um, in some ways that we diagnose adults with certain um, illnesses are are not the same way we make diagnoses in pediatrics. So it is quite different um, than adult medicine, but I love it. Um, I have fun at work every day and uh, doing CDI brings a little element of doing something different um, than just straight clinical work to my practice. So it's really brought me a lot of uh, joy in a a nerdy way. Uh, Documentation is interesting to me. No, I love that. And I love that you touched on the idea that you can't just shrink down adult medicine for pediatrics, that it is totally different. Um, So thank you for pointing that out. Can you tell me a little bit about the CDI structure at your organization, what that looks like? I know you said you're involved in CDI and you find that to be an interesting bit. Um, So you are a pediatric only hospital. So do your CDI specialists only review pediatric cases or do you share CDI resources with a the bigger hospital that you're affiliated with, or maybe not bigger, I'm sorry, the adult hospital? No, it is bigger. Um, we have, <laughs> we're a small freestanding children's hospital um, with academic affiliations at, with two medical schools, actually. So we're uh, 225 beds, maybe a medium-sized pediatric hospital. Um, and we have uh, two um, CDI uh, nurses who are our specialists they come from a background in nursing case management, um, and they have worked at this particular children's hospital for probably 25 years each, at least. Um, and so they have vast experience uh, with the docs at our hospital and um, in working in several different areas. Both of them started out in the pediatric ICU. So they're well equipped to review our inpatient charts and, and do that work. But they only do pediatric CDI, um, and I only manage the pediatric CDI at our children's hospital. Um, So it is a little bit different. Um, I came to this job uh, of doing CDI um, kind of early on in in the pediatric CDI world. I think um, I initially uh, was interested in helping with IT and um, we started um, using a new um, informatics platform at my hospital in 2013. And so in implementation of that, uh, at that time, we started also looking into a CDI program. And so our CDI program started in 2013, really born out of the idea that our hospital case mix index was not reflective of the complexity of our patient population and where were we missing out on that complexity. And, And we thought it really came down to how our providers were documenting. So we really wanted to push that up a little bit and work on getting credit for the complexity of our um, subspecialty pediatric patients that are very complex that we take care of. I think we see that so much in what what the impetus is for getting CDI programs off the ground is that you want to ensure that the, the medical record is reflecting the acuity of the patient. So it's very interesting to hear that that applied in your situation as well. So we were 
very excited to have you as a member of our Physician Advisor Mastermind this year because you are one of only a handful of pediatricians and you were able to bring a really unique perspective to the table because as we've touched on already, pediatrics is so different from adult hospital medicine. And one of the things that I learned from our conversations is that there aren't necessarily standard definitions for a lot of diagnoses in peds. How does this affect the diagnosis that you have to make as a peds physician? How does it make diagnosing patients difficult? Yeah, it is a very different problem than adult medicine, right? Where there's very extensive research and guidelines and um, diagnostic criteria for most di- most definitions of diagnoses for adult medicine. We just don't have that robust of um, diagnostic definitions in pediatrics. Um, And some of that is coming, but this has been a problem for 10 years that I've been doing CDI in pediatrics. We kind of have chipped away at it a little bit um, with ACTUS and their help with pediatric CDI. Um, One of the first projects I worked on um, as part of the, the pediatric group in ACTUS was a def- national definition for acute respiratory failure. And we actually had a work group of, I, I would guess, maybe about 20 or 25 um, CDI uh, physician advisors that um, would gather virtually. And we talked at the national ACTUS meeting as well um, about our own hospital's definitions of acute respiratory failure, how we could maybe combine the ideas of some of those into uh, a nationally recognized diagnosis and then use Using our friends in ICU and pulmonology to help us with that diagnosis. The problem with acute respiratory failure in pediatrics is that the, the definition um, that we use based on adult um, acute respiratory failure is based on an ABG value, right? And so um, in pediatrics, we are not frequently doing ABGs. They do um, sometimes in ICU, but more often than not, uh, we have patients on positive pressure ventilation that are not getting ABGs or we're following CBGs or VBGs instead because they're easier to obtain in kids and we don't want to do arterial sticks in kids if we don't have to. So how can we come up with a diagnosis um, when, you know, the cutoffs that they're using at other adult centers are based on those ABG values? So that was kind of where we started from and it was a process uh, about a year and a half to two years for us to come up with a consensus, but it was really a fun project and um, we did publish that as a white paper um, in uh, for Actus in 2015, and um, it's it's a consensus statement that my facility still uses to this day for our definitions. But really, you know, you can have local definitions of diagnoses in pediatrics, and you know, uh, those do stand up if people use those appropriately and said this is standard of care at my institution. Um, but stronger evidence than that would be national definitions that are recognized by uh, multiple multiple institutions and places. So that's kind of has been our goal um, with our pediatric group. Um, More recently, we worked on a definition of um, heart failure um, in pediatrics. That's a little bit more nebulous even than acute respiratory failure. Um, And people, I don't know why there's this, um, the word failure makes people anxious and they don't want to 
say that their patient has any kind of failure whatsoever because that's a reflection on them somehow. But, um, you know, it's really important for us to call things like they are and um, make sure that if we're treating someone for heart failure, that we actually um, make that statement in the chart that they have heart failure and what kind and be more specific about it. So we also worked on a white paper for heart failure, and that took almost about the same amount of time as our respiratory failure paper. But again, we're working on some national definitions. Um, I haven't been brave enough to suggest that the, the pediatric actus group um, work on sepsis definitions. It's so hotly contested. But I think that's when you and I, Carla, started talking about it was um, we were talking in our mastermind group by email about um, what sepsis definitions other uh, facilities use for um, for their CDI program. And there are people using sepsis two and sepsis three. And I was the lone person to stand out and say, well, what about pediatric sepsis? <laughs> you know, really use any of those criteria in specifics. And, and mostly because, you know, all the numbers associated with those criteria don't apply to our pediatric population, or you need an age-based range, or, um, you know, you do for labs and you do for vitals, and, you know, each piece of that gets a little bit more complicated in pediatrics. So maybe someday when I get brave, I'll suggest that our group works on sepsis, because I think we need to. They're just, uh, it's hard in peds, you know, the, the last real um, sepsis guidelines that most ICUs use were from the early 2000s published. So there hasn't been anything in a really long time. So we need to work on it. <laughs> Another work in progress. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect example of why I really wanted to have you on the podcast, because there's just so many instances where that applies, where there there is the the peds person in the background going, but what about peds? And it it, because it just is different and and it's often forgotten. And I think it's important that we bring peds to the forefront and remember that just because things are different doesn't mean they're not applicable or not important to discuss. Absolutely. And, and there are some definitions in pediatrics that are very well documented and well thought out. Um, one great example is malnutrition. Um, we have Aspen guidelines for malnutrition that get updated and our, our GI folks and, and dietitians really work hard um, nationally on the Aspen guidelines. And I think all, all peds facilities that I know of use their malnutrition definitions. Um, and it's a huge percentage of our pediatric population. There are studies that show up to 40% of pediatric inpatients are malnourished. And so it's probably one of our top um, queries that we have at my institution um, because people just forget and they forget that when you get credit for your patient's malnutrition, you also get credit for how long they're staying and that their length of stay is going to be longer because they have malnutrition. It's going to be harder to heal from surgery. There's going to be more complications all based on nutrition. So I think that, you know, all of those things play into it, but with really solid consensus statements from these national groups for pediatric definitions, um, we can only get better from here um, and be more consistent uh, across the country. Absolutely. And you brought up queries which um, I wanted to ask you about when you're in situations where there maybe isn't a consensus statement on the clinical criteria for a condition, how are the CDI nurses that you mentioned, how are they able to clinically validate a condition or um, to send a query with clinical indicators? What, what are they looking at? 
Yeah, you know, it is difficult, um, but you can have a, a consensus of your, your clinical indicators for a certain diagnosis that your hospital always uses. So I think being consistent amongst themselves is probably the first step um, and meeting with those subspecialty groups like, you know, uh, other examples like heart failure or like uh, acute renal failure, things like that, where you can ask the docs in nephrology and say, is this your definition? How would you categorize these um, degrees? And then based on what they tell you and what they're accepting, you can go out and tell all the pediatric hospitalists and all of the people who work, you know, adjacent to these subspecialties. Um, this is what the subspecialist said, said that they are using for this criteria. So you make an accepted diagnosis. Our, our CDISs, um, when they send a query, they're often sending uh, articles and they're sending uh, at least the reference for an article um, to, to teach. So, you know, part of what we do in CDI is really um, trying to teach our providers and teach our learners like our residents and our APPs that are kind of starting all these notes out, out from scratch, teaching them these diagnoses, what the clinical indicators are, how we want um, you to be able to get credit for that diagnosis by using the clinical indicators that are in the chart, but actually documenting them in your note. And I think when we do that, we're teaching them to put us out of business so you don't get more <laughs> queries. I always say, you know, my job will be done when I, there's no queries left, but there's always new folks and new learners. <laughs> and I think there's always new people to teach. So um, it seems like a never ending cycle. But um, I, I think by making people aware of those diagnoses and teaching them, you'll get to the point where you um, hopefully they're learning and, and doing it better next time. Absolutely. Anytime you can see growth is must be very rewarding in your position. Very much so, especially the learners, because I know we're setting them up for success, you know, for their whole career. It's pretty hard for you to teach somebody in hospital medicine for 17 years that I need to do something differently. Um, but these new learners who are med students and, uh, you know, M4 sub-I's and our residents are absolutely still trying to figure out their workflow and how to write their notes. And they're very open to suggestions. So, um, um, they're just sponges. They want to hear all of these things and they want to learn about it. So they're a great audience. That is really awesome. What are some challenges that, or a challenge that you've faced specifically as a physician advisor in PEDS and how have you been able to overcome that? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of challenges uh, as a physician advisor. I think we're always um, scrambling for that education piece, at least at this, you know, academic institution. I'm always trying to teach new learners and you're always um struggling for time with them and, you know, jockeying for where you can be on their orientation schedule and when can you attend rounds, you can kind of explain and teach a little bit. When can you meet with all of the, you know, divisions and do some division specific education about specific topics. And I think um, all of those things are really important. And so finding that time to be able to teach is always a challenge, but but important to do. So we really fight for that time. And then I think also just explaining, like every time I talk to learners, I talk about what the why. Um, I think you can explain diagnoses to them uh, until you're blue in the face. But if you don't explain why they're doing it, I think that they kind of miss out on um, it, 
knowing why it's important and that follow through for them. And then people just don't always do it, you know? So I think the what's in it for me, for the, for those providers, but then also, especially in pediatrics, I think all of medicine, um, what's in it for my patients, you know, how can, if you tell me to do something differently and my patient will benefit from it, I'm going to do it because that's why I got into medicine in the first place, right? To make things better for patients. So I know if they are getting um, all of the complexity is actually being documented, they're um, getting more credit. This is how we're getting them, you know, chaplain services and in pediatrics, we have child life services, all those things that are not reimbursed, Um, even nursing acuity, all those things that really depend on the complexity of the patient. um, We are getting services for that patient based on our documentation. And I think when you make that clear to providers, then they're willing to do almost anything to make it better for their patients. So um, besides their own, you know, national metrics and the things reflective of them, I think they're even more invested in their patients um, getting what they need. I think that's absolutely true. Patient care really is just at the center of everything. Absolutely. That's why we do this. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but if you were to gaze into the future, what do you think the future looks like for pediatric CDI or what, what do you hope it looks like? Yeah, you know, it, it's a really good question. And I think um, as medicine changes, who, who knows what will come of this field. But um, I think in the near future, I think more hospitals are recognizing um, the power of pediatric CDI, um, freestanding children's hospitals that are academic centers like mine, but also community pediatric hospitals. I, I think in the past, we've kind of been dismissed as not the biggest moneymaker in the building um, for uh, adult hospitals that have a small peds unit. But I think there is um, significant value in pediatric CDI um, and getting credit for those complex patients is so important for, you know, the financial future of pediatrics. You know, we are one of the lower paid specialties um, and lower reimbursed specialties for for our patient care. And I think um, it's really important that we capture as much of that revenue as we can. Um, There are community hospitals now that are closing pediatric units because they're just not financially viable. And I think this is one way that we can work towards um, making sure we get credit for these sick patients. Pediatrics patients need a place to go and um, us just decreasing the number of peds beds in the country is not not going to help that problem. No, it's, it's not a viable solution. And like you said, the peds patients are some of our most vulnerable and they do need a place where they can get care. So I very much appreciate you bringing that awareness to everybody. Before I let you go, I am very excited to say that you'll be presenting at the 2024 ACTUS conference in Indiana next April with some of your colleagues in PEDS. And so just before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what they can expect to hear in your sessions next year? Sure. So it it, it takes a little bit of a story though. So this group, uh, this group of providers that um, I tend to speak with at Actus that all do pediatric CDI um, is a group that I've met kind of over um, several years that um, I started out going to Actus 
kind of just as I was picking up in CDI in 2013, and I was introduced to Jody Carter, who was um, doing CDI at Phoenix Children's at the time, and had given a national talk that um, one of my uh, docs had listened to. He was our CMIO, and he asked me, are you interested in this project? And I'd love to bring this to Children's. I think it could be really beneficial. And so I went to that ACTUS conference and met Jody and talked to her about CDI and what she loves about it. And um, she uh, has since mentored several more docs in her same position at Phoenix Children's, um, several of which uh, I speak with. Um, we have a pediatric intensive care doc, Amy Sanderson, in um, at uh, Boston Children's. We have Lucinda Lowe from um, uh, Children's Hospital Philadelphia, and um, there's a whole group of pediatric CDI providers that kind of know each other because we're a small community, and we really feel like we need to bring pediatric topics to the ACTUS conference because it's just a tiny field, and we know if we don't talk about it, then nobody else is going to. So I'm on two talks this year, actually, at the ACTUS conference. Um, one is a more clinical talk, uh, which I, I always like doing and, and comes pretty easily um, to somebody who's doing clinical care and peds every day. But I'm going to talk with Amy Sanderson um, from Boston Children's and uh, Wendy Arafiles from Phoenix Children's uh, about some pediatric critical illnesses. Um, one is called MODS, um, which is usually an ICU diagnosis, multi-organ dysfunction syndrome, and pulmonary hypertension, which we do take care of on the floor sometimes. So we're going to talk about some of those um, clinical diagnoses. And then I know you want me to talk about the other um, talk because uh, you're interested <laughs> in it. Um, it's going to be really fun too. The other one um, that I'm giving is about leveraging power dynamics to secure your place in the CDI space, which really applies to more than just pediatrics, right? Um, I think we really were interested in, in trying to figure out um, how we use interprofessional healthcare teams and how there's this implicit power dynamic. What are the consequences of that? And how can we leverage those power dynamics in the CDI role and CDI being actually part of the medical team, having our CDI specialists be part of rounds, be part of a team that can um, hopefully influence um, how documentation is done. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how we do that at our institutions and um, simple things such as like your placement in rounds, um, your um, power dynamic with the leader of the team and how they see you in rounds as a, a CDI specialist or a physician advisor. What can you teach them quickly on rounds and, and actually get them to incorporate in their documentation? Um, Micro-validations instead of a negative of microaggressions. How can we validate some of the things that they're saying um, in that uh, kind of in that environment. Um, but yeah, positioning the room, body language, um, how you relate to the rest of the team. Also, the challenges with being virtual versus in person. A lot of rounds are done virtually now. Um, in pediatrics, we do a lot of bedside rounds with the parents and the, the patient, but I know that's not the case everywhere. And um, not all CDIS has come to in-person rounds. So um, how can you leverage that relationship that's kind of maybe been a little bit damaged since COVID and since so many things have changed with how things work in the hospital? So it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to talk about. It sounds like you're going to cover a lot of grounded two talks, but um, 
you've got great people alongside you that um, you're teaming up with to deliver these talks together. So it's going to be really great. And thank you for that sneak peek, Sheila. And more importantly, thank you again for taking the time to come and talk about PEDS with me and really help educate me and share your experiences with our audience about the unique population that is pediatrics. It was really fun. I think that um, there's so much room to make a difference in pediatric CDI. And if people have questions or ever want to discuss any of these diagnoses or work on a a project together, I'm happy to do so. So um, really people email me all the time with questions or comments or um, articles. So it's really fun to have kind of a small CDI environment where we mostly know each other and want to help each other. So it's really a good place to be. Thank you, Sheila. And if our audience does have any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at info at actus.org. We'll provide you with any resources we can or connect you with Sheila. And we'll also put that email in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org and in your podcast app so that you can grab it from there. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. I'm Linnea Archibald, the Associate Editorial Director for Actus. I am filling in for Carla during today's update, so you, if you were expecting to hear her voice, you're probably a little surprised right now, but I'm glad to be with you today. I just have a couple relatively short updates for you today. First, those of you who had wanted to apply for an Actus CDI scholarship, Scholarship Award actually still have time to do so. Last week we decided to extend the application deadline to Thursday, November 30th to give interested folks the chance to apply over the Thanksgiving holiday break. As we have mentioned during previous Actus updates and in the CDI Strategies newsletter and on our website, there are four scholarships for which you can be considered. We have the Introduction to CDI Scholarship, the Professional Development Scholarship, the Outpatient CDI Scholarship, and the Melissa Varnavis Scholarship. You can find out all about these scholarships using the link in today's show notes as usual. And once the application period closes, Actus editor Jess Flegel will convene the Furthering Education Committee to review applications and select recipients by the end of February 2024. And again, you do have until Thursday, November 30th to complete that application. The Thanksgiving break is also a perfect time to submit your application to present a poster at the Actus National Conference this coming April in Indianapolis. Posters are displayed in the Actus Conference exhibit hall throughout the event, and if your poster is selected, one team member will receive two off their conference admission, and all contributing members will receive four Actus CEUs for their efforts. We would also encourage you to submit your nominations for the 2024 Actus Achievement Awards. Recipients for these awards will also be recognized on the national stage at the 2024 conference. It's seriously one of our favorite parts about the entire event. This year, there are five Actus Achievement Awards that you can nominate a colleague for. We have the Professional of the Year Award, Accomplishment in CDI, Excellence in Provider Engagement, the Melissa Varnavis Spirit of Service Award, and the Diversity in CDI Award. The applications for both the posters and the nomination form for the Achievement Awards both close on Sunday, December 31st. So you have till the end of the year for that. 
My final update is that in observance of Thanksgiving here in the U.S., the ACTUS office will be closed tomorrow, Thursday, November 23rd, and Friday, November 24th. We hope that you all are enjoying some time away from your work as well with your loved ones and can come back refreshed and ready to dive into next week. Because of the holiday, we've also decided to extend the deadline for this week's Actus Podcast episode CEU form. Those of you who want to claim that 0.5 Actus CEUs for this week's episode have until Monday, November 27th at 11 p.m. Eastern to do so. And as always, you can find the links for more information on all of my updates in today's show notes, which are available on the Actus website and in your podcast app. Finally, as I already mentioned, each Actus podcast episode offers 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential. Normally, that CEU period would only extend two days after the show is posted, but we have extended that through the weekend due to the Thanksgiving holiday. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then just scroll down to the recording of today's episode and click play. At the end of the video, all the way at the end when the timer gets to zero and the music has stopped, a link to the CEU evaluation will appear. All you have to do is click on that link, take the survey, and your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon submitting that brief evaluation. Those instructions are also laid out on the show page so you can follow along there as well. Again, the cutoff for today's episode CEU is Monday, November 27th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will no longer be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode, but don't fret too much because we'll be back in two weeks with another 0.5 CEUs. With that, we have reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, December 6th for the new episode in our Talking CDI series, hosted by Actus Director of Programming, Rebecca Hendren. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links that we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dion Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at info at And until next time, happy Thanksgiving and take care, everyone. <laughs>